Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Marin? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi, this is Anna David. You're listening to Recover Girl, a podcast about addiction recovery. It has been a podcast where I've been interviewing sober people about their recovery, and that's super interesting, depending on the person, depending on how I do that day. But I also am somebody who likes change. And so I've been changing this up, and I have been giving you guys snippets from my live storytelling show, which takes place every other month here in Los Angeles at this amazing cafe slash theater called Open Space. And in it, addicts or non-addicts get up and they tell stories about their drinking and their drugging and their recovery. And the show's become a, inadvertently it's become a hit and it's become such a joy in my life. Something I just started to do for fun to kind of get over my own issues with, uh, sharing stories. I have basically found that it is very healing to write about my issues. And it is even more healing to then share that writing with the world at large. But it is even more healing to share that on a stage so that you get people's responses in the moment. Because after all, if you're writing, you don't get to go home with them and see what they're doing when they're reading you on their couch or wherever they are reading you. So Anyway, that's what the show has become. I've gotten far more passionate about this. I now have classes online where I'm helping people. uh, Basically, I'm helping them launch their writing careers, then write book proposals, then sell book proposals. Um, One out of every certain amount of people gets a meeting with a lit agent and a publisher. I truly believe we're all in recovery from something and we all have stories to share. And I am honored to be able to help people do that. If you want information about that, go to AnnaDavidCoaching.com. I'm also going into rehabs and other sort of venues and helping people teaching workshops on this. If you want information about that, Email me, Anna at AnnaDavid.com. Now let me talk about the performer I'm about to introduce. He is truly one of a kind. This is a guy who wrote what I think is the funniest novel ever written about addiction, which is saying a lot because I wrote a novel about addiction. Uh, his this, this novel that I read is called Black Hole, and it came out a couple years ago, and I read it, and I immediately – his publicist sent it to me, and I immediately messaged him and said, are you ever in Los Angeles? I would love for you to do my storytelling show, which has come true. He ended up moving here from San Francisco, but he's written so much more than just that one book. He's a poet, a self-help author, and now a comedian. Some of his books include Get Up, A 12-Step Guide to Recovery for Misfits, Freaks, 
and weirdos. Uh, but th- he's written so much more. A warning and an explanation about the story you're about to listen to. I don't want to ruin anything, but this is something you would only know if you were in the room. He brought up an urn. I think that's all you need to know. He walked up to the stage and he brought up an urn with him. And if you know that, this story will make a lot more sense. Anyway, that's all I'm going to tell you. This is Bucky Sinister. Do you guys, do you guys like prop comedy? <laughs> I am doing like the only the kind of prop this will only work with, with you guys. Uh, I, I don't think it would work with anyone else. Uh, it's going to be a little dark, but it's all right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, this is my comedy partner for, for the evening. I'm not sure if he's a partner or a prop. Uh, this is uh, this is my friend Rick. Uh, I got I have a Rick in the box, you guys. Um, it's 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 totally okay. I know some of you are conditioned to be like, oh shit, it's tragic. No, it, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, everything's fine now. He's here. He's here. He's with us. He always wanted to be on stage. He always wanted to do stand up. And uh, this is about the closest I'm going to get to get him to do that. Um, I, I have to tell you about Rick. We, we called him Shut Up Rick uh, because he said the worst shit you've ever heard. Uh, and we're constantly telling him to shut up. And we, uh, he, he was the kind of guy who just broke in, in the middle of our, our, uh, our men's meeting. He would just say uh, the worst, most horrible thing all the time. Uh, if he said that your mother had breast cancer, he would ask how nice her tits were. <laughs> <laughs> Just always the wrong moment, and just trying to make a joke. So we always constantly saying, shut up, Rick, until he finally just started introducing himself at meetings as, uh, hi, I'm shut up, Rick, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, so that became his name. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, it, was, it was one of these things. Like, it, it's funny because, funny maybe a little, a little strange. Um, but, uh, I don't know, whatever. whatever. It is what it is. Uh, I, a lot of a lot of the chapters of my lo- life are, are, are kind of marked between uh, births and deaths of, of other people. Uh, I met I became I met Rick a while before, but I got close to him uh, after my friend Alex died. I, I gave a eulogy for a friend of mine, Alex, and uh, then uh, just out of nowhere, like like he came up to me after the, the eulogy, and he never really had a real talk with me, and he said, uh, "Bro, let me tell you a little story." Uh, I used to have this rat that used to drink whiskey with me and watch TV. And uh, I would put a little whiskey on the spoon, and the rat would lick some off, and then I'd drink the rest. And we did that day after day. And then one day, that rat died. And I was mad at God for so long. I'd say, why, God? Why'd you take my little pet rat? Uh, And then I thought one day, well, that rat was so cool that God needed a rat in heaven. There you go, bro. And then he took off. And I was like, who the fuck are you? Why, why did you think this would make me feel any better? And also, why did you think it was a good idea to give whiskey to a rat? Um, so, but, but then I was like, I need to find out who this guy is. I need to find out how his mind works. So we had a meeting that, that went on at like 7.30 in the city, uh, in, in San Francisco. And, and I lived in Oakland at the time. I worked in San Francisco, but I got off work at 5.30. So I didn't want to go back to Oakland and back to San Francisco. So I would just hang out at this uh, Pete's Coffee uh, at, at about 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Shut up, Rick. Found out I did that. So he, he came out to, and started sitting with me. So for about 252 days in a row, uh, I, I had... The mind of like it was like Tuesdays with Maury, but with a schizophrenic ex-con. Uh, 
and I figured, well, this guy has been told to shut up his entire life. What if you just let him talk for an hour? One, one hour every week. No one says, no one tells him to shut up. What will he say? And you know, let's find out. And uh, uh, what he told me a lot of a, a lot of weird stories. My favorite one was, uh, you know, mostly it was just like bad jokes he was working on, uh, or or it was maybe just like a, a socially unacceptable story that happened in pre uh San Francisco uh, in, in the early '80s. And, uh, or maybe it's just like a, a prison story I'd be embarrassed to repeat. Uh, but uh, <laughs> here's, here's one that was my favorite one. He, uh, decided, he walked up one day, just, just started in, and he goes, Bro, what if Jesus appeared to all of the other planets with intelligent life in their own form and gave them all the same message to love thy neighbor? as thyself and what if we're the only planet that killed him <laughs> well holy shit i did not believe in neither aliens nor jesus before that uh and then i really wanted to believe in both uh, that was just the most compelling argument I heard for both sides of that story. Um, <laughs> I, I just gonna look like, okay, and, and, and I, I really hope that no one ever tells me, oh, that's, that's from a Twilight Zone episode or whatever the fuck. I hope he didn't take it from a Saturday Night Live sketch or you know, whatever. Um, so uh, I, I decided to move. Uh, I decided to move. To, to LA, uh, and I was leaving. I, I left August first, uh, and I was supposed to have one this one last meetup with Rick, and uh, just at the end of July there. And uh, I I had uh, like a book certificate I, I had from a used bookstore where I traded a bunch of books. I was going to give that to him along with a shirt I knew he'd like, and uh, it was going to be our little going away uh, present. And, and he didn't show up, and and I, I thought, well, you know, maybe he just doesn't. He just didn't like showing a lot of emotions. Maybe he feels weird or something. And uh, that's okay. And uh, as I left, I kept trying to, um, I kept trying to like locate him. And as anyone seen him, where is he? And you know, he, you know, his he he would have cell phones for a little while, and they would turn off. So it wasn't anything new that his numbers were bouncing. And uh, and and here's the thing: uh, Rick and I were both undergoing a lot of dental work at, at that time. Uh, I I uh, I got a whole all, my entire top rack is store bought. I don't have any real ones up there. I have a few real ones left downstairs, but that's it. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't have uh, don't have a lot of teeth left. Neither did Rick. Uh, we both really liked meth a whole lot. And, uh, <laughs> Right. You know, I miss that good '80s meth. You guys, like that—that that was that stuff. I think was okay. Like I just do some of that, and then it would just make Motley Crue sound good. You know what I mean? It was—it wasn't any of this. Like you know, let's let's you know, take apart the Teddy Ruxpin and build a tattoo gun. Like that shit came in the '90s, and I blame the '90s meth for rotting my teeth. Anyway, um, so we were both getting a lot of dental work, and uh, you know, it, it, it sucks, man. It's really—it's really horrible. It's painful. I was on a liquid diet for like five weeks. Uh, you know, and and you know. You know they'll just throw painkillers at you like they're fucking Tic Tacs, and uh, if you let them, and and I, you know, I thought, well, maybe, maybe Rick relapsed on his pain meds. Maybe he's out in the wind. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't know. I just figured, well, you know, when when a drug addict doesn't want to be found, sometimes you let them not be found for a little bit. You know, they they have ways of like, and there's no real thing. When this guy wanted to disappear, he's like a 
He's like a, a fucking tenderloin ninja. There's no way that anyone was going to find this dude. And, you know, I looked over why then I got, uh, I got a message on Facebook from another friend of ours who said, uh, hey, um, well, let me make sure my time. Okay, good. Uh, hey, uh, one, of, one of the other local wing nuts said that Rick died. And I was like, no, they're, they're probably just wrong. Uh, I'll confirm, like, if Rick is dead, the medical examiner will know. And uh, this is a thing that I that only drug addicts know to do. It's like, we kind of have a list of who to call when. I said, well, just start with the medical examiner, and, and then we'll find out he's still up. And I called the medical examiner. I said, I'm looking for Rick Lottie. And they said, uh, we have a Richard. And I was like, oh, fuck. And, uh, and, and I was like, what, what happened? He's like, oh, he, he died of pneumonia back in July. And I was like, oh, that's why he didn't show up. And, uh, and uh, I was like, well, do you need help finding his family? And so, well, we found his family. They didn't want him. And I was like, fuck you. Um, I want him. Uh, can I have him? They're like, sure. It's, it's $1,040. And I was like, yeah, I still want him. Uh, and and just, uh, get, the, get the thing out. Now, here's the thing. I, I had not, I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to let them. They, they, they only call like your first of kin. That's it. They, that, that's all they have to do. They don't like do a deep search on your Facebook or whatever. Um, they just call your first of kin and they go along with it. But um, I was like, okay, uh, what, how do I pick this up? How do I say I don't live in the Bay Area anymore. How do I pick this up? They said, well, we'll just mail him to you. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, registered mail. You'll have to sign for it. I'm like, yeah, because he's not like a sample pack of Tide or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where we're going at it. Just like, I want to drop him in the mail. Like, you know, like, whatever. And, you know, along, along with, like, you know, like the Netflix DVDs, if you still get those, you'll know, uh, do. Now, I live in this building. I'm the oldest person in my building. I live in this kind of little chic, like, studio apartment disaster in, in downtown LA and everybody there is like 22 and uh, there's these two young women that work the front desk and I told them I'm getting a very important package on Thursday call me as soon as it gets here I'll come down here and sign for it they're like oh we'll sign for it for you I'm like no let me get this one and uh, <laughs> and I, I get down at these I get the little email notification I get down there and, and they're all crying down there and, and I'm like what and then I see the box uh, the post office has these stickers that say cremated remains. They mail so many bodies out of the mail that they've just made a whole roll of these stickers. And they just go like bat shit with them, put them all over the thing. So they were like, oh, what happened? I was like, well, he was 52. And they're like, oh, that old, huh? Like, it was like, no, what are you fucking person in LA by the way I'm 47 and it's just like I when I tell people it's like telling them I have brain cancer or something it makes them real uncomfortable um I, I was like well what do, what do I do what do I do like you know because there's some things I want to do with Rick that he want to do want to go see some baseball games want to go do that uh he also um skateboarded the uh, 17 mile drive one time uh and, and I, I know we're gonna we're gonna go back there one day and uh but also, I was like, okay, I, I, need a, I need to have a, some kind of memorial service for this guy, but what do I do? Well, it turns out, November 30th, every year, L.A. buries all its unclaimed dead uh, from three years before. 
they keep you on the shelf for about three years. No one comes pick you. They, they, they dig a big hole in Boyle Heights and dump you in there all together. And I was like, I'm going to go there. And uh, so I went there, and there were buried 1,400 people. Unclaimed. 1,400. Like, it's not like, don't please don't think it's like a bulldozer in bodies. It's like... <laughs> It's, it's a lot classier than that. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice, like, it's like just ashes all together. And it's not like, you know, they're not like dumping them like a mortar salt. Like, like, it's all like, you know, it's all very classy. Except there are a bunch of like, there is like one little crew of like Burning Man hipsters who are like, oh, this is cool. Like, we're enjoying this mess. Great. Um, other than that, it's just a bunch of Unitarians and stuff, like singing songs. Um, so I, I need to uh, wrap this up real fast. Um, so I, you know, one of the things Rick and I always talked about was like what, what, what happens after you die. And I wish I could tell him now because I know he gets sent to me in the mail. Uh, and then I, I, I take him out and make an act, you know, like we do an act together. I think he would have loved that. But I, I, I do want to, to leave you with this thing, like, Rick had been, had this horrible background, and I heard a lot of the prison stories, and I heard a lot of his childhood, and it was horrible. And I don't really know that guy. All I know is the guy who just really wanted to help. All this time he was spent, he was trying to somehow balance his moral karma by volunteering. He volunteered everywhere he could. Because he was mentally ill and just got an SSI check, he, went, he still found jobs of just volunteering like everywhere. He would show up at an SLE and just start washing the dishes, and they would say, Dude, you don't live here. And he's like, I'm almost done. Like, that's like what, that's the kind of guy I was. And what I really like, remember, it's like, no matter what, it's it's not, there are, like, a lot of things you can't go back and do. It's too late to be an astronaut or a musketeer or whatever the fuck you wanted to be when you were six. But it's not too late to be a good friend and to be a good person and to try to help and to kind of, like, his kind of like his thing every day that he just woke up, he was like, how can I be of service today? And it was like really inspirational to me, even though he was like the most batshit crazy person I, I ever met and just definitely worthy of, uh, definitely, I, I got a bargain here, you guys. Like a thousand bucks is like really like the best money I ever spent. Thank you. I'm glad that went well, Anna. I, I really am. I didn't know how that was going to go. I, I had no, no idea.